We've been uh, over the summer looking at the books, letters in the Bible that have only one chapter to them. And uh, we are on the last one, September 6th. It's technically still summer. Um, Took us a while to get here, but we have landed on the book of Jude, which is the second last book in the New Testament. Uh, I must say I don't recall ever having heard a message on the book of Jude. That may be more a reflection on poor memory or lack of listening skills, but Jude is not very often a go-to book for sermon material. Um, Biblical scholars and biblical historians... uh, like to debate certain aspects of this letter. Um, And I think part of the reason when building his case for what I would call the righteous judgments of God, Jude references two events that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Um, They are recorded in other what you might call ancient historical religious texts, Um, But I think it's some of that that allows historians and scholars to debate and discuss various aspects of of Jude. However, this morning I'm I'm leaving those debates to people uh, much more knowledgeable than I am. Um, And so I'm going to choose to take the book of Jude simply at face value, that it is text in the Bible, inspired by God, given to Jude for the benefit of the church. I would also encourage you at some point to read 2 Peter chapter 2, and some of you may have done that prior to this Sunday. Uh, When you read 2 Peter chapter 2 and you read Jude, you'll find that they are almost in many cases mirror images of each other that the text is strikingly similar, which I think simply adds to not only the credibility but the relevance of what Jude has to say, that Peter would have given that same message in a different context, perhaps to a different church, and now Jude is giving that same message in a different time and in a different church. Jude does identify himself as a brother of James. So for most people, they will say that means that Jude is actually a half-brother of Jesus, born to Mary and Joseph. Yet Jude, when he writes this letter, chooses to describe himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I think it speaks to Jude's conviction that Jesus was not simply what you might say a half-brother, But first and foremost, Jude relates to Jesus as his Lord and his Savior, that Jude says, Jesus is my master, I am his servant. This letter, I would say, is bookended by two very powerful and, I think, encouraging messages to the church. It's about who we are as children of God, as brothers and sisters, about the incredible, what I would say, the common faith that we share as children of God. And so he starts kind of 
in a way that affirms that, and he ends in a very, I would say, powerful affirmation of who we are in the family of God. Yet by the time he reaches verse 4, this letter shifts gears very quickly, and from verse 4 on, what I would say is a very warm welcome quickly becomes a word of warning, and the warning actually extends, if you read Jude, from about verse 4 to verse 16. And rather than simply celebrate our common faith, which is what Jude says he really wanted to write about, he says he feels compelled, I'm going to say, to put the church on high alert. Using some of the strongest, and I would say, Perhaps the most colorful language we have in the New Testament, Jude issues a warning to the church because he believes the integrity, the beauty, and to some extent the truth of our common faith is in jeopardy. And it's being challenged not from forces or influences outside the church, but from within the church itself. And so Jude says, and I would love to just simply write and celebrate our common faith, but I feel compelled to tell you as a church, we need to contend, we need to fight for that very faith. And Jude says there are people, there are influences inside the church that pose a great danger to the church. And I think it could be safely said that conflict or attacks that come from without only serve to strengthen the church. Conflicts and attacks that come from within pose the greatest danger to the church. So I want to say if you're here this morning out of curiosity, I want you to know that this message that Jude writes, he's writing to us, to those of us who say we have accepted that common faith, we are part of God's family, we are children of God, Jude is writing to us. And Jude says there are people in the church who are actually trampling on the cross of Christ. There are people in the church who are actually making a mockery of the faith that we share. And if I was to paraphrase the theme of this morning, it would be that every one of us in the church Every one of us here this morning is called by Jude to contend, to fight for the faith that was once and for all completed in Jesus Christ. And I want to say generally people fight for something because there's a danger of losing that very thing. So it's about fighting for not only what we believe, if you want to think about it in terms of doctrine, it's fighting about how... God calls us to live that out. It's about our lifestyle. How do we live out what God has called us to be as his children? I'm not going to read the whole um, letter because it would take too long. Um, I encourage you to do that if you haven't done it. But I'm going to take out bits and pieces of it. Jude 4 says this. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Some other translations may say these people have crept into the church unnoticed. They have slipped in unawares. 
saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Peter gave, I would say, a very similar warning to the church when he said this in 1 Peter 2, verse 16. He said to the church, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And Jude, I believe, is saying that there are those to whom he is writing, to the churches that he is writing, who are doing exactly that, using their freedom as a cover-up for evil, as a cover-up for self-serving motives. I'm going to say people who may very well know the doctrine, but they use it for their own gain, they are using it for their own advantage, and their influence in the church, if I was to put it in somewhat colloquial terms, their influence in the church is actually messing people in the church up. Causing people to doubt. Causing people to actually return to the bondage from which they had one time been freed through the cross of Christ. I want to say there are four trademarks which seem to identify these people. Four things that are mentioned in Jude Um, and different translations will share these or express these in different ways, but I've identified them. I think there's a slide for this. Number one, uh, these people actually live to please themselves. I think in the New American Standard, it says these people defile the flesh. Your translation might put it somewhat differently. Number two, these people reject authority other than their own. Number three, these people scoff at things which they don't understand, which when I read that makes me think that they actually scoff at things in the spiritual realm, including the truth of God revealed in his Son, Jesus Christ, our common faith. It struck me when I thought about especially the first three how those characteristics actually describe our 21st century culture. That this letter actually beautifully, beautifully is probably the wrong word, aptly described the spirit of our world. Most people will say, I will live my life in a way that gives me most pleasure. I think for most people in our world, they would probably say, yeah, that's pretty much what we do. Number two, most people will say that in terms of my life, I am actually the ultimate authority. Yes, I may obey the laws of the land, but in many other areas of life, morality, how I should live, I am the ultimate authority in my life. Number three, I think our world would say, if I can't understand it, I likely won't accept it. And I may well make fun of those whose spiritual convictions cause them to live differently from the world. 
And Jude says, I believe, that this mentality, which is the spirit of the world, can creep into our churches without us realizing it. I think this letter is actually so relevant, it could have been written yesterday. If the spirit of this world, the spirit of this culture, finds residence in the church, the church will cease to be effective. When I thought about it, I thought about how can these people actually make their way into a church? How is it that they can creep in unnoticed? Number four, and I think it's still on the screen. It's one of, I think, the things that Jude said that is most significant. These people claim spiritual insight or spiritual authority by way of dreams. And I want to say these people who have crept into the church may very well have understood what I might say is the language of the church. They may, in fact, have sounded very spiritual. In fact, Jude says these people have actually claimed authority because they have received a special revelation, a special dream from God. And as I thought about that, I thought there is a way sometimes of speaking within the church that sounds spiritual, but actually has the potential to hinder the church and at times to be divisive in the church. And I think the church, that's you and me, need to have what I will call our spiritual antenna fine-tuned when we hear people speaking of receiving a special word, people saying they've received a special dream, that we need as a church to bring captive every thought to the truth as revealed in the word of God and completed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That I would say these people who have crept into the church, their words which sound spiritual do not actually match their lifestyle or their practice. Jude 8 says this, in the same way these people in your church who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, they defy authority, and they scoff at supernatural beings. Jude at one point says these people are actually doubly dead. That they were once dead in their sins. They experienced a spiritual rebirth of some kind, but have returned to doing whatever is right in their own eyes. They have crept into the church. They are undermining the cross of Christ. They are undermining his church. And in perhaps some of the most colorful language in the New Testament, Jude says this in verse 12 and 13. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. They are shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. They are autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. 
And you might have thought these people should stick out like sore thumbs within the family of God. But Jude says they have crept in unnoticed. Which is why I think what Jude writes to us is a warning we as a church continually need to heed. And some of what Jude refers to seems to be over the top in terms of lifestyle and you might say disrespect for how we are called to live. And I would say I would be hard-pressed to come up with a 21st century example of what that looks like in a church, but my guess is that it does exist. But there are other accusations that Jude levels that I think are too common within the church of God. Jude 16, when talking about these influences in the church, says these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism in the church in order to gain advantage. These are the ones who stir up divisions. They are worldly-minded, and they are devoid of the Spirit. That there are those in the church who have found the church to be of personal benefit, not in terms of the saving grace of God, but in terms of their own well-being, their own influence, perhaps even their own power. And Jude says, as he writes from verse 4 to 16, that these kind of voices within the church, within the Old Testament nation of Israel, have always existed. There have always been people who have scoffed at God, And there have always been people who have scoffed at those who choose to follow him. In the message of Jude to the church, he says that these voices actually existed in the days of Noah. They existed within the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that when prophets to whom God spoke, the nation of Israel rejected, mocking them, Those voices existed in the New Testament, and we heard them shout out, crucify him. When Pilate said, you know what, I find nothing wrong with this man, and religious leaders mocked him and said, crucify him. And Jude says, you will find those voices in the church even today, undermining the kingdom of God. And I think there probably are some people in the church, even this morning, who would say, I have at times experienced that kind of dysfunction or spirit of division. I think it's actually heartbreaking within the family of God. I think it must absolutely tear at the heart of God, who says that the church is actually the bride of Christ. And Jude says, because of that, we need to contend for the faith. We need to fight for the faith. We need to be alert. We need to test and examine all things. He says, don't be taken in by these people. Grace is not a license to sin. Don't listen to these people. The church is not a place for personal gain. Don't listen to them simply because they said they had a spiritual dream or special word from God. 
I want to say if that word or dream does not fall in line with the word of God and the discernment of the church of God, its source is actually from the enemy of our souls who loves to pose as an angel of light. So Jude says, I think, he's saying to the church, be on guard. One of the things that Jude, I think, highlights so much is that uh, judgment is to come. I think the Old Testament is full of examples of the righteous judgment of God. And I believe that the righteous judgments of God are still at work within our world today in ways that we probably do not even fully understand. And Jude reminds the church that mocking voices, regardless of the generation, will inevitably face the righteous judgment of Almighty God. That God is not mocked. And when I read Jude, I have a sense that the judgment on those within the church who undermine the gospel will be most severe. In verse 11, Jude says this, and he says, Woe to you. Now, if you were to sort of scan the Old Testament and the New Testament and look at wherever the writer used, Woe to you, it's a word of reminder that the judgment of Almighty God will come. In Galatians 6, verse 7, Paul said this, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit of God will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So I thought about the Spirit of God in our lives. I thought about the Spirit of God in our church. The New Testament says that the Spirit of God convicts us of sin. That when I think of the Spirit of God's work in my life, he points out to me, and I don't have to think about this too long, to be reminded that I am frail, I am weak, I am sinful. But the Spirit of God also convicts us, he says, of the righteousness, not our own. The Spirit of God convicts us of the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And thirdly, it says the Spirit convicts us of judgment. The people Jude refers to, I would say, disregarded all three of those. Disregarded the true work of the Spirit of God in their life. Towards the end of his life, Paul seemed to me, he seemed to sense that his time was short, and he said this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, for the time will come when they, he's talking to the church, will not endure sound doctrine. The church won't. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire, And they will turn their ears away from the truth 
and will turn aside to myths. One author called it mystical thinking. I said earlier that Jude, although it's a reminder, I think, to Jude about the church to be on guard, to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel, the love of God shown in Jesus who lived and died for you and me. Jude says that is what you are to protect. And he reminds us of, I think, being on guard within the church. He reminds us about the inevitable judgment of an almighty God. But as I said at the beginning, he bookends this warning in such beautiful ways. And Jude calls us at the end of this letter. He says, extend mercy, extend grace, extend love to those who are doubting and those who have been drawn back into lifestyles, I would say, of bondage. And as I thought about that, it's as if he is saying to the church, those people who have quietly infiltrated the church have actually caused people to start doubting their faith and have actually caused many people even within the church to go back to a lifestyle from which they had been saved. And Jude would say that as we contend, as we fight for the faith, We need to reach out to those who doubt. We need to even reach out to those we may think are so beyond rescue that Jude says we do not even want to touch them. And we need to draw them back to the simple gospel of the grace of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. Jude 20 verse 23, he says this, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It's both a direct command to us as a church and, I think, a direct caution. The beginning of this letter, I think it's in verse uh, 2 or 3. And, Randy, you can put up that slide. Jude, who loves to mention things kind of in triples, he says this, we have been called by God. That as children of God, we have been called by God. We are loved by God, and we are kept by God. Some translations, we are kept for Jesus. Some say we are kept in Jesus. Some say we are kept through Jesus. That's a message that Jude gives to those, I'm going to call them the faithful within the church of God. And we are called by God to be a people, to be his people, 
in the middle of what I think the Bible at one place calls a crooked and perverse generation. Probably applies to what almost any generation you want to talk about, but if you wanted to look at ours, the one we live in, there's many aspects of what we see around us that simply say, yes, this is a crooked and a perverse generation. And God calls us not to live lives of license, not to let our freedom be used as a covering for sin, but it's a call for us as children of God to live lives that show forth the glory of God. It's a call to obedience. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to right living. In a great message that Peter preached, he said this, Jesus ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one, Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him has received forgiveness of sins. That Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us in order that we might share in the righteousness and the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jude says, contend, fight for that faith. That as a church, we need to acknowledge and humbly bow before the supremacy, preeminence of Jesus Christ in our lives and within his church. And I want to end in using just the verses that Jude used to end his letter to the church. And I, I think it's such a beautiful and um, powerful closing or doxology, whatever words you want to use, where Jude says this, Now to him, that's Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling. And when I read that, I thought he has just been talking about those in the church who are causing people to stumble. He says, focus on Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. I'm just going to close in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this letter. Uh, Father, I thank you that as I, I read it and thought about it, Father, that you allowed this letter to speak to me Father, in a way that seemed to be so relevant within the church. Father, help us as a church to guard and protect the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, keep us from, from building a church that is for human benefit or human influence. Father, keep our hearts and our minds open to what the Spirit of the Lord truly has to say in his church and to test all things. But Father, above all, we thank you for the person of Jesus Christ, your Son, given for all who would believe and accept 
That through him we have forgiveness of sins, Heavenly Father. Through him we have the hope of glory to come. Father, would you speak that into our lives this week? As Jude says that you have called us, that you say, God, that you love us and that we are kept and protected in and through Jesus Christ. Help us, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.